It's snacking and get cracking with a snack that packs a protein punch. Pistachios are known for their protein power, fiber, and better for you unsaturated fats for a combination that may help you keep feeling fuller longer. Wonderful Pistachios is a good source of protein with zero gill. Each one ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. I love that they come in a variety of sizes and flavors, making this the perfect protein snack for any on-the-go adventure. Check out wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more about how these little green wonders can power up your day. Good morning and welcome back to the Flow Track Podcast. My name is Lincoln Shrike, joined today by Gordon Mack. It is Wednesday, October 14th. All right, that's where we're at on the calendar. Uh, thanks for joining us today. You can email the show, flowtrackpodcast at gmail.com. Full disclosure, we were struggling to come up with a topic for today. We're kind of in between uh, track events and we have a little cross country this weekend, but it's too early to preview that cross country meet just yet. So we had to get creative with our ideas. Um, but I'll start asking you, Gordon, as I always do, how are you doing today? Doing good. Uh, it's hump day. So it's hump day of the podcast. So we're just trying to get to the other side where we can start previewing the action yeah. next weekend. I am kind of nervous, though. Once next weekend is done, it's going to be a lot of slim pickings for things to talk about in the running world because right. we're running like – World half is going to be the last major event probably of 2020. And then cross country. I mean, once BYU and NAU pack up and go back home, you know, cross country doesn't really have its same kick that we, that we're going to need to the, the excitement level is going to kind of go down, right? BYU versus NAU is going to be a lot more exciting than any SEC, ACC, Big 12 conference championship. But, you know, do what we can. I'm excited. I'm going to it. I'm going to the meet. Yeah. I leave Friday. Come back Saturday. Uh, yeah. So it should be fun. I started texting some of the coaches. Hey, I'm coming. They're like, "What?" So it'll be good. It's gonna be good. Mm hmm. What What rules are you having to follow when you're you're going to this? Do you have to get tested before you can be on be on the course, or how's how's that working as far as COVID is concerned? Uh, I haven't been told I need to be tested, so I wasn't planning on it. Uh. I'm sure it's just the typical don't crowd, don't kiss people. Don't cough don't, on people. Yeah. Don't cough on people. Don't hug people. Keep your distance. So I got to make sure. The only thing I'm worried about that I was thinking about is like making sure people can hear them on a camera interview because if they're too far away, you won't be able to hear them. So I have to make sure we're not – it's not like – because sometimes it's super windy at places, right? And if it's so windy and they're oh, talking, yeah. you're not going to be able to hear anything. So that's the only thing I'm worried about. But I'll cross that bridge when I get there. In the end, I'm excited what is, to uh, get some good Yeah, content. of course. Well, I'm excited to see the content you come up with, to be honest. And to you're going to film the races, right? Yes, I'm going to try. I'm going to try to film them. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it's uh, I have experience on that car. Now, the course was different, but I have experience on that lead cart at Oklahoma State. Uh, a little bumpy and when you have never filmed really much of a race before that makes for incredibly poor footage. So you have to <laughs> uh, turn your arms into a tripod and uh, do the best you can to hold. I think the course is smoother these days. So hopefully you come up with better footage than I did in 2014. I think the bar is quite low because um, that footage was unwatchable, but I I'm excited to see the results, not only to watch that race, see how the course plays out and see the, see what you can come up with as far as interviews you know you watch 
the big networks, ESPN, they have these fancy setups with microphones, long, long microphones that we can uh, do interviews with. I don't know if we're going to have that at our disposal. So you may just have to scream at people and expect them to scream back as they answer your questions. Yeah, we'll figure it out. I'm sure it'll be fine. Mm -hmm. Uh, In other news, there was some kind of a little bit of a side breaking news that some of the, I texted some college track coaches, hey, what does this mean? A lot of them were kind of like, oh, wait, what? They're like, kind of like, I'm not sure. Let me get back to you. Mm-hmm. But Jeff Goodman of this, of Stadium, uh, he tweeted out yesterday, D1 Counselor has voted in favor of giving additional year of eligibility to winter athletes. Source told Stadium, won't be official until close of tomorrow's, which is now today's meeting, since it yeah. could still be brought back for reconsideration. But they voted in favor of giving an additional year of eligibility to winter athletes. I'm guessing that means... I don't think that is for um, last year's athletes who lost. I think it's for this year's athletes who may not want to compete because of COVID or may have a weird yeah. season because of COVID. So, but well, that does mean though that, on that. No, yeah. we need clarification we, on that. That I mean, it it wouldn't make sense that they would be providing that eligibility seven months on right i thought they didn't they did already decide when it comes to last year's winter athletes that they weren't going to give them eligibility correct correct okay so this yeah that that point i'm sure jeff goodman had already made that point but that needs to be a little clear that referring to the upcoming winter athletes if they either opt out or if there's somehow not a season then maybe they get extra eligibility yeah i think it's implied it's i think it's this year's athletes but that means it's going to be like cross country, right? Because all the athletes who are running cross country right now, and whether they run cross country in March as well, none of that counts towards their eligibility. And now we're going to say the entire indoor season, if we have one, is going to count towards eligibility. It's just it's going free to be year. Yeah, it's a free year, basically. Free real estate. That's what they say, right? Free real estate. Uh, but, uh, you know. People are going to start getting old, right? We're going to start. Everyone's going to be like BYU on that track, you know. Oh, Everyone could have seen that one level. coming. Wow! But it is crazy. Wow, like another. if you're a fifth year this year, and you're planning on like, you now get to do a sixth year. And what if you're what if you're a medical redshirt sixth year, in the year of 2020 slash 2021 school year, mm-hmm. you'll be able to come back for a seventh year just like that. It's kind of wild. Yeah, I mean, as we saw with athletes that were of a high caliber I'm not saying this is only applied <clears throat> applied to high caliber athletes but we saw a lot of student athletes elected to just leave to go pro or to just yeah. graduate there's there's other factors so it <clears throat> i imagine the situation will be like it was last year where it won't apply or not as many people will accept that extra year as of eligibility as first anticipated but yeah, it will provide that opportunity if you can figure it out. You can figure out the grad school classes to take. I mean, that they deserve this, right, for having their career, you know, uh, upended due to this pandemic. So, um, you know, I was making fun of or questioning the NCAA because it's always there's always a qualifying statement after it seems like a decision has been made. And this one was 
won't be official until tomorrow's meeting since it could be brought back for reconsideration. It seems like there's nothing definitive when it comes to NCAA councils and executive committees and all this. There's, it's, it's hard to understand exactly the bureaucratic process of the NCAA, but yeah, this, this makes sense. And it obviously foreshadows that everyone is anticipating that this upcoming winter season is not going to be like a normal one. And obviously the pandemic's still going to be going on in this country. And, um, you know, uh, it allows the athletes to make a decision without risking, you know, their health or, or, you know, having to compete when they maybe wouldn't otherwise want to, given the pandemic. Um, well, now they know they're not gonna, they're gonna get an extra year of eligibility regardless if you compete or if you don't. So it's it's a nice boost for the athletes. One interesting note, uh, if you click on the, uh, go to the tweet that this came from, from Jeff Goodman, at Goodman Hoops. There's a lot of people in the, re- in the replies who are saying this is awful news for the high school senior class. Now, <clears throat> mainly they're talking yeah, about basketball here, but they're, but like they're talking about how there's going to be less roster spots for incoming freshmen for next year because, you know, normally you have to deal with, you know, four and a half years of people because, you know, they might have a couple fifth years, but now we're going to have to deal with five and a half years worth of people. Do you think that the high school athletes right now who are our seniors are going to be affected by not being able to be on teams because of all these extra years given out to current college athletes? No, I don't think so. I we I feel like we kind of figured this out or discussed this. I know every university is unique, but we talked with Dave Smith about this and, you know, they they certain institutions are going to open up, you know, more scholarships. They'll they'll get this figured out. I I don't think this is going to be a big issue. That it's not going to you know, prevent recruiting from happening. Schools aren't going to have to, the the big schools that we're used to covering aren't going to suddenly like, nope, we can't recruit this year because we still have X amount of athletes on scholarship. I just don't think, I think NCAA's made moves and I, and I'm sorry, I'm not more literate on this here, but they've made moves to like, you know, uh, allow for extra scholarships where need be because they see that this is going to be an issue. And obviously they don't want, there to be a all of a sudden a big decrease in a number of high school athletes that are coming into the NCAA. They need that money, uh, so there. I don't foresee this being an issue at all. There'll be more scholarships opened up, and and so, something will get figured out to where we can deal with this because this is obviously going to have an impact for years and years to come. If this issue, if this pandemic continues, and athletes are continuing to get more eligibility, and some are staying. I mean, one one part of the issue is going to be solved by some athletes are just going to go ahead and graduate, even if they have extra eligibility. But the few who will choose to stay and satisfy all the eligibility that they have, be it, you know, getting six years on campus, I think that the extra scholarships will be made available for the for the institution so that they can have a seventh year athlete and have a, a new true college freshman. I, I just don't see it becoming an issue. What about the being able to be on varsity. Like you look at a school like NAU who probably yeah. has like eight guys who are probably good who are good enough to be in their top 5 
two more redshirt freshmen. So they probably have 10 guys already who are like top seven material. And then all those guys are now going to return when they add in another freshman year class of three to four people where like it's going to be harder and harder to make a top seven on a, on a good squad. Yeah. Unless you're, I mean, I, you know, you're like Drew Bosley or Nico Young. That's a first world problem for the elite of the elite cross country programs. You can always transfer if you really yeah. are like, wow, I can't run at the NCAA championships, even though I, I'm an all American caliber athlete. I mean, that's a, that's a problem of the of the super elite. Yeah, if you're somebody at NAU at BYU and you're like because of all these people that are still around that wouldn't have been otherwise due to the pandemic, I can't crack my top seven. Well, I don't know, transfer or get better. It's not that's that's not too significant of a problem as far as our viewing experience. And you, yeah, like I said, you could always trans. You could always if you're at NAU, you could go down to go to go to Arizona and tr- you know try your luck there. I, I don't imagine we'll see that, but you know there's always options to to move around to transfer if you are truly being blocked simply because there's so much talent on one roster. One one uh, interesting side story on the, too much talent on a roster is I remember when we were filming the uh, Houston piece, uh, the the Houston docu-series from 2019 now, I guess it was. Wow, feels like forever ago. Uh, and I remember talking to Carl, and he was like, I think Leroy was there too. And they they have a lot of good 100-meter guys, and they're like, why can we only put one 4 by one relay at Nationals? Like, why can't we Why can't we try to qualify a second team? You know, you look at the 1500, there's not only one athlete represented per team. You could have three Oregon guys represented in the 1500. Why can't you have two relays represented in the four by one, right? They both score the same way, right? And looking into it, there is a, a rule written there down in the bottom of the bottom that says only one per team. Uh, but he made a good point. Like, why are we disadvantaging schools sprint. that yeah, have sprint. a good enough second four by one or four by four? Or DMR, or in this case, remember we, I remember last year we talked about BYU could could feel two top sevens, right? Imagine if like you mm. could qualify two schools, to two teams from your school to nationals, right? Mm. Be, why not, right? Uh, yeah, I mean that's just the nature of sports. Like what? So like, I I don't I don't I mean that's just it goes against what we're used to thinking about sports i mean the the 1500 is an individual event and the four by one is a team event it's a team and i understand what you're saying it's just uh i i, I think they're trying to, yeah i don't know actually i i, I mean it just but goes against the way event? we it's traditionally not. understand but i mean the u.s on the international level the precedent is set on the international level i mean the u.s is clearly good enough to field multiple four by ones and multiple four by fours at the at the olympic and world championship level but there's only one per country there too because we want to see the best of the best from one country um i just don't i think it would lose its some of its special special nature um if we allowed multiple schools and be like oh it's a battle between houston and houston for the you know it's just it doesn't have that same drama i don't think 
there was that drama when Eric Jenkins and Edward Cheserek were duking it out. Like there were people mm-hmm. upset I that there were two team, two people on the same team going one two. Like no one complained. They're yeah. like, all right. Like when these people, are the rules. You could have sweet. Just the rules. Yeah. Yeah. These are sometimes. The rules. I mean, imagine yeah. though if you could do that. Like if you could, you could show like your dominance in an event where you could like sweep the four by one. Like imagine if a school did that. It would be like this is incredible. <clears throat> They I mean, swept. They, they, they got the top eight places. They had thirty-two worthy four by one runners. That'd be pretty impressive. No, you can sweep. You go one, two, three. Yeah. Sweep it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I hadn't really put a lot of thought in this. You're the one who does the like the super outlandish. Uh, maybe not super outlandish, but off the wall. Uh, scenarios in track and field, and I appreciate you well, for that. But yeah. I, I just. You're right. I mean, the individual events you get multiple entries, and the team events you don't. I, I don't know. That, when, them's the rules. And even when we're, even when we we're filming the NAU piece, I remember sitting in the room where they were deciding who the top seven are, and they chose to run Blaze over Ryan Raff. Uh, and it wasn't just Ryan Raff. There was like four other, five other guys who were sitting there just as mm-hmm. alternates. That team of those alternates probably would have finished top 25. And so it's kind of crazy how yeah. they don't get the experience running, but the team that finishes 28th does. You know, when clearly there are people out there, like the B team That's of BYU. You go to NAU. You know? I know it's a price you pay. Yeah. But it, it sh- it, I think, like, if we really want the best of the best, we should let – if you can get five people on the line, who cares where you're from? Just – Mm. You know, I don't know. You I need to join. Cool. <clears throat> you need to find your way onto a D one council. You need to become a coach. Um, yeah. You know that that's, well, that's the, the way reason why to start. It, the reason why it never happens is because it takes away opportunities from more student athletes from different schools, and oh. everyone wants to be able to say they qualified. That's why we have thirty one teams instead of twenty because we're like, hey, let's get more people who can put up a banner in their gymnasium saying they qualified. That's basically mm, what you do. Jeez. You're big you're, I mean, you're you're big uh, activist against the participation trophy culture, aren't you? I mean, we we congratulate the 40th place finisher of a of a race. That's kind of a little weird, right? All American. No? All American. But are they like yeah. they're they're 40th? What's so, well, why is the fortieth place person that much better than the forty first place person? Like, what did he do or she? Gotta do? Have a, you gotta have so a. Great. Gotta draw a line somewhere. Yeah, and why do we even? Why do we? Why do we congratulate the top four? Why isn't it top three? Like, everywhere in the world, it is top three. There is I mean, why name we, another. Inter- why do we only have why, one president? Why can't we have two presidents? Like, why can't no, hold on, no, Joe no, no, Biden no, and no, Donald no, Trump no. work name, together? Name another yeah, competition where we celebrate mm-hmm. fourth place. Um, where there's a fourth place spot on a podium. Hell, we're the think. only ones that do know. top eight. Like when you go to like a track meet, like in high school state mm-hmm. championships, the podium is eight spots. It's not three because they want – to to say this is the all state team because they're all the top eight, right? Mm-hmm. Like we well, an all American at the NCAA level. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I don't know. They do it. Top eight. Beat, 
Olympic level is just top three. I, I don't know. Fate. Everybody make the final. You're you're Yeah, Tour de France final, is top three. Tour de France yeah. is top three. Everywhere it's top three. In tennis, it's only top two. Right? They only care about the top two. In yeah, soccer in soccer most sports just the winner. Yeah, in just soccer the they do a third they do a third place, but at least they only do they only give a trophy to the third place team, not the fourth place team that lost. No, so like yeah. I don't know. I feel like why are we giving out fourth place trophies and fortieth place fortieth place finishes? It doesn't make sense. Okay. Mm. For the record, I could never finish fourth on a team in cross country and I could never personally finish fortieth in the division one or division eighty cross country championships. But it is a little silly that we you know it is you know it is a little silly. Never never say never. You could always go back to college. Um I might have that extra uh, year now. Yeah, right? We all might. Um, Okay, so moving on to the meat of this episode, or in my (laughs) case, the the tofu of this episode. Uh, We want to talk about the world records, because we've been talking about them in in mass this week. The world records that we think have a real good shot to fall in 2021. This year, we saw quite a few world records actually go down. And 2021, be it that we will hopefully fingers crossed, have a return to normalcy in track and field, see a lot more world records fall. Uh, We want to try to get ahead of that and make some predictions about which ones will fall. So I've accumulated a list, did it, full disclosure, right before this episode, uh, accumulated a list of the events I think that have the best shot to fall in 2021 and gave them a percentage number that they will go down. So we'll start. I will start. My high, my two highest, it's a tie for the top, two highest percentage chances to fall, it's the men's and women's 400-meter hurdles. I put them at 90%, a 90% chance that these will go down. Do you, uh, do you agree with that assessment that the men's 400-meter hurdles, despite the fact that no one has run as fast as Kevin Young uh in over 28 years do you do you view it as a 90 90% chance that either Warholm or Samba or Benjamin will run under that 4678 90% chance is pretty high pretty high and i and i i hold on just before I, I i put Samba and Benjamin in there obviously the main target here is Warholm he ran 4687 yeah, yeah. in a year without any competition i just think he gets a couple good guys on the track He's going to run under under that world record, but ninety percent is high. It's ambitious. It's, it's also interesting you put. It, it's also interesting you put it at ninety percent after he literally went for it like five times in a row and didn't get it. Like, mm-hmm. how many times does Carson need to fail at getting the world record for you to start thinking maybe yeah. he's not going to get it? You think? I mean, he so he ran forty six eighty seven um, in Stockholm. I, I think historically that track's not super fast. I, I just think he was running out of steam by the end of the year. You give him a chance to train. I, I, I just feel so confident about this one going down. You can knock it down a peg, but is it is it is it a lower percent chance on your radar than the women's 400 hurdles? Who, yes, you have two women in Dalila Muhammad and Sydney McLaughlin. One, Muhammad, who already has the record, and McLaughlin who now is the second fastest of all time. They're both still in their primes. And McLaughlin obviously maybe hasn't even entered her prime. Um, You figure they can run under that mark. But the event kind of had an off year this year. 
nobody did anything as far as either of those two women. So you think, uh, maybe, you know, maybe they're not going to be come, come out firing on all cylinders like Warhome might. But would you put the women's 400 hurdles at a higher chance than the than the men's? Yes, I would put the women's definitely at a higher chance than the men's. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you and Lincoln, I mean, you and Kevin have been, you know, love struck with the Warhome factor of him uh-huh. running all these fasts, 47 mids, then it's 46, 87 in the yeah, year 2020. A lot faster than 46, 87. 87. Yeah. yeah, but like he was running most of his times in 47 mid, right? When he was okay. attempting the world record, he was running 47 mid. So my thing is like, is there a point where it's just not going to happen? Like how how many times will he have to attempt it and not and come up short? Will you realize maybe he's just like an all-time great, but he's not mm. the great. Well, it's not like he's spent like 10 years trying for this and he's, you know, it's basically he's gotten to this level in the last year and a half and he's run two performances under 47 seconds, which if we look back historically, all of, let's see, one, two, three, four, four people have done. So when you've done more sub 47 performances than anyone else in history and you are still only 24 years old it just feels like the the chances are real high that you haven't reached your ceiling yeah but i just think that how high do you what percentage chance do you give of the women's 52 16 falling i'll give the women 80 percent and i'll give warholm i'll give warholm 50 percent wow Okay. You're not as ambitious as me, but let's move right along. Don't grow on trees, man. They don't grow on trees. They kind of did this year though. And I felt like if in a down year in 2020, if we're going to get six, seven world records, we should get like 40 in 2020. No, I'm just kidding. 40. Here you go, Lincoln. I'll, I'll, I'll help. I'll use my point. I'll use your point against you. The reason why we've had world records this year is because of the wave light technology and wavelength technology is is a non-factor when it comes to these sprinting records. So that's why yeah. they're harder to break because they don't have the technology that you say is the only they, reason. They need that. that that's they, like like what Kevin and I were talking about. They just need to dial up the wavelight technology to 957, and you're going to see a ton of sprinters running 957 in the 100. Okay, uh, moving right along, we have one that fell this year, the men's pole vault. I put it at 80%. Um, 618 is a big bar, but when Mondo Duplantis was really crushing it, it looked like he was ready to go like into the six, six twos. I, I, I put 80% that Mondo Duplantis either indoor or out raises his 618 bar. Do you agree with that assessment? Obviously it's optimistic again at 80%. I know world records, I would like put it said, at, throw on trees, but I'll put he was it at on 95%. fire. I'll oh, put wow. it at 95%. Yeah. I'll that go high because... I think he is making he he's making six meters like running doing it backwards. Uh I yeah. think um I think his goal is gonna be six twenty, right? I think that's his new thing because it'll be cool to see yeah. that six point two on the on the board. So uh I think ninety five percent. I think he's young, he's agile, he has nothing else to, to to do, right? It's like, hey, why don't we just try this now? Like he's not, he's going to win competitions after his first vault. 
So every competition he's in, it's going to be like, all right, let's try it now. Like he'll he'll yeah. enter the competition at five ninety five, get it. No one else will have it, and then now he's just like going for six twenty. So Enter, entering at five ninety five. That's I don't think that we've seen that. That that would be. I mean, not impossible, but man, you're you're you're. Uh, There's going to be a point at at a, at a height that would win most comp- international competition. You know, international championship competitions. That'd be that'd be pretty eye popping even for him. I think there's going to be a point where he will win a competition with one vault. Wow. It seems possible. You know, I, it's interesting because what I Kendrick's really would want to see is I have the, to wonder if Kendrick's is tailing let off. Everyone get a, oh yeah. We'll let yeah. everyone get eliminated before you even bother to put your shoes on. Yeah, just wait for everyone to get eliminated. And you're like, oh, right, what is it now? Oh, 610. Okay. Let me just put my shoes on. Oh my God. Right, 610 is not going to be at 610. Yeah. No, it'll be at I like 580 like, something. Yeah. That'd be a flex. You should like regardless sleep what during the competition. Yeah. You just go take a nap, watch a Netflix movie. Away for everyone. Someone tops him on the shoulder. Hey, there's no one left. Oh, okay. Takes his warm up off, jogs, yeah. vaults, wins, goes home, collects well, a check. In a more realistic nature, I mean that that would be funny and hilarious to watch. Albeit, it would take a very long time for the uh, pole vault to be completed. But what what's the number you think we end 2021 as the world record? You you give it a very very high chance of the record falling. Do you have a number in mind? Like, will it be six twenty-five? Where Where do you think the bar will be? No, when no, all six point two. Just six two, six two zero. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I almost feel like he's going to go higher. I remember a tweet way back in the day. By way back in the day, I mean February, where Sandy Morris was like, "It looks like Mondo could jump over six three. He's so high over the bar." And I, so I am holding out hope that he is like coming out so hot that he's like just taking it that high going to the six threes and and you, and you know that is you know where he m- maybe doesn't enter the competition until everyone else is already out it's 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 not impossible with the level he reached it, it it's quite incredible all right moving right along we'll try to run through these a little bit quicker the women's 5000 i put it at 70 percent we saw tezenbeck g'day Lower it to 1406. I've been on record quite frequently over the last week saying uh, I, it's it's stunning that basically the third best 5,000-meter runner in the world is a world record holder. So I expect one of, if not both, Safana San and Helen O'Beary to lower this mark. Uh, if they get the opportunity, I put it at 70%. I think we got several candidates that could lower this mark. 70%, what do you, th- what do you think about that number? Too high. I'm going 30% because the opportunity. Is there going to be an opportunity? I think that in an Olympic year, you're not out there Mm -hmm. trying to time trial. You're going to, you're trying to peak for, you know, having that last 1K be your best 1K ever. And I think that O'Berry and Hassan are just going to be training to, for racing. And Mm -hmm. I don't think they're going to be really caring about running 1407. So, I yeah, think they're going to save that for yeah another time. Fortunately, yeah, I just I, Hassan likes running fast, though I think, and I I I even if it has to come in like an Olympic final, I could see her going for it. We obviously saw the fact that she ran three fifty one in the fifteen hundred after the ten thousand in in Doha, basically almost going for the the world record in the fifteen hundred in a fifteen hundred final in her second event. So I I. I 
imagine she'll take a crack at it in Monaco or something like that. Um, I, I don't think that she's just because it's an Olympic year and maybe she also runs world indoors that she's all of a sudden just going to be conceding, letting this mark last. I think she saw what Gade did and said, that record needs to be mine. I'm going to break 14 minutes. So I, I, I really want to, I, I feel strongly on the 70%. I, I think it could come at any meet. It doesn't just have to be a specially designed 5,000-meter race. All right, moving right along. The women's 10,000, another effort that uh, involves Safan Hassan. She just ran 29.36 in horrible conditions. The record, 29.17 from the 2016 Olympic final, Almaz Ayana. I put it at 50% because I think seeing what Ayana did in Rio, I think Hassan's going to have similar designs to say, I'm going to try to break this world record in the Olympic, in the Olympic final. 50%. Is that number too high for you? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's good. 50%. I think, the, I think the women's 10K is more likely than the women's 5K for some yeah, weird reason. Even with the lack of opportunities, I just think in, in the, in the, uh, in the Olympics, Hassan is just so good. I mean, that <clears throat> I don't know how we can possibly convert or put a conversion on her 2936, but in that horrible sub 50 degree weather, rain, wind, uh, that had to be worth a world record in, in, in good conditions. And if she gets that in, in, in uh, Rio, I, I, or excuse me, in Tokyo, I, I, I think she gets it done. Okay, moving right along. Uh, <clears throat> the at least on my board, the percent chances have dropped off considerably. Um, I'm interested what you think of this number. Next event, men's shot put. I put it at 25%. Now, I know Ryan Krauser has been crushing it in the high 22s all year long, but that 23-12, a mark that a lot of people put a serious question mark or and or asterisk on, that's a tough one to crack. So I put that on 25%, which is really high when you consider the fact that that record has not been, no one's come close to that in 30 years. Is that too high, appropriate, or where, where do you feel, what do you what do you think Krauser's chances are hitting that world record in 2021? I think he's got a 23.12%. Mm. Oh, mm. I like it. Very nice. No, That's but like his, his consistency of 22 is great, but that isn't really the same as being able to throw 23. I think that, yeah, like his odds of winning, I think, are probably ninety percent of winning Olympic gold because of his consistency. Mm -hmm. But the odds of a world record, I just think, are a lot harder because you could throw twenty-two every day, backwards, forwards, sideways, but like it's hard to get that one throw, you know. So I, I just, I, agree. I, I would say it's lower. But again, the odds of him winning are extremely high. Because yeah, his yeah, twenty five percent. Like I said, I did this real quick before the show. Twenty five percent feels a little high. Maybe more in the fifteen, the ten to fifteen percent yeah. range. But whatever, we're moving right along. I'm going to pair these next to the men's men's five and ten thousand races. I put them both at twenty five percent. It just depends on if Joshua Chep, the guy, gets another opportunity or wants to. It's really just up to him. He's the only one I think who can who can possibly do this. It comes down to opportunity. It's not going to be like in the women's race or women's competition where you can expect to see this in an Olympic final or anything like that. It's just, does Joshua Chep, the guy, want to try to lower his 5,000? And does he want to try to break 26 minutes in, in the 10K? 
certainly would seem possible given his skill set, but the will the opportunity be there? I put it at 25%. That may be a little high. Uh, what are your thoughts on those two events? I put it at like 1% chance. I oh, think wow. he's not like, yeah, he's, gonna he's not going to try. No, he's going to be like, so these right. were like, these were like his Enios 159. This is like a, this, this year was like a once in a lifetime for him. Yeah. And I think he's going to be focused on trying to win the double, right? He's going to be like, that's yeah. my goal. And I shouldn't be messing yeah. around doing wave-like technology training. Well, here's the only argument against that is he's doing these these five and 10,000 records, specifically the 10,000 record. He did it 10 days before he's running the world half championship. So it's not like he's worried too much about it completely burning them out. I know the world half is different than the Olympic Games, considerably so, but I don't think he'd be running this world half if he thought the 10,000 is just going to completely wreck him. So maybe he goes for one of these again. Uh as long as he recovers this year, you know, well from it, it's not a high, high likelihood, 25%. But if he, the confidence there, the number is, is 25% because I think if he goes for it, he's going to do it. It's just a matter of, does he go for either? Yeah. I just think he's going to want to have in his, like, I just, he wants to get reps of racing and not reps mm. of time trialing because when you, time trial over and over again and then all of a sudden it's an olympic final and the it's like a fart lick out there you're gonna be like wait a minute i'm not prepared for this type of yeah situation so mm -hmm. all right yeah yeah fair enough i'm still gonna leave it at the 25 percent in my mind because if he goes for it he's he's gonna this get it good. okay men's 400 is next at 20 percent i felt real ambitious here 20 percent Michael Norman, you got to stay healthy. Wade Van Niekirk, probably not going to be back on his 2016 levels. I think this all falls on the shoulders of Michael Norman. Is 20% too high for Michael Norman to run under 4303? I don't think it is. 20% is too, is too low. I think it's more 50%. Oh. I, I oh. think his 100-meter oh. mark that he threw down shows that he's healthy. He still has his speed. He's, he's going to be well-rested. Right, he was burnt out. That's why he didn't even make the world final last year after running so fast in April at Mount Sac. Now he's had a true full year of just being able to get his legs under him again and not be going for broke. You know, he's yeah. so separated from the college world of running multiple races. He's gonna be fresh, 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 and I think he is the talent that is able to break 43 seconds so i think mm. it's 50 percent chance and i think wow. he would do it i think he would do it in, a, in an olympic final i i've been trying to predict it every every year for the last two years and didn't happen in 2019 obviously and then in 2020 we well we all know what happened in 2020 michael norman's still only 22 years old he'll be 23 years old uh, at the olympics in 2021 i uh Yes, very much still still young and very much still has a lot of racing ahead of him. 50% feels high. I, I thought I was going ambitious at, at 20%, but I, I'd like to hear somebody else is as excited about the 400 record as, as I am because it doesn't feel like it's getting as, as much talk about. But you break the world record, real good shot, and you're running in the 42s, and that happens. That's one of the best performances, if not the best performance in track and field history. So 
man, that bait is out there for Michael Norman. It's got to be exciting to go to practice every single day for him. Okay, uh, moving right along, and we're trying to wrap this up quickly. I put the women's steeplechase at 20% as well, tied with the men's 400, at least on in my record, on my books. Uh, it's always up to Beatrice Chepkowicz. 844 is a pretty uh, outlier mark, but feels like she could always attack that one. I, I, you don't have to respond to that. We're just we're just going quickly here. Um, the women's. I do want you to t talk about this one. These two though, the women's fifteen hundred and the men's fifteen hundred. I have the women's at eighteen percent and the men's at seventeen point five. Now the women's fifteen hundred is I, I would say between two women in Safan Hassan and Faith Kip Yegon. I have it slightly above the men because of what Safana San did in Doha. But the men also, you got Timothy Chariot, you got Jakob Ingebrigtsen. Doesn't seem like it's impossible. Um, which one do you think is a higher probability, the men or the women? I would say the women. But I also think that there will be attempts at these records in Monaco next year, both. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be like when Kiprop and... Dababa went for it in yeah. Monaco. I was there, I believe. It was 2015 or 16. I'm not sure what year it was when they both went for it. Dababa got 15. it. Kiprop didn't. 15. 15? 15. 15. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I think Monaco is going to be the 1,500 world record attempts on the women's and men's side. Yeah. And I think they both have a legitimate chance. Mm -hmm. So, but if I'm betting, man, I'll say they don't get it because I just think it's hard. Yeah. But I could see, I could literally see a timeline in our future where Chariot and Hassan both have it, so. Yes. Um, definitely still a ways to go for Timothy Chariot. I mean, he's two, nearly two and a half seconds behind. He's from Algarus, 326 flat. You do have to run in the 325s to get the world record. That uh, seems pretty tough. And so maybe the half percent edge I give the women should be a little bit higher, considering again that Savannah San ran 351.95, less than two seconds away from the world record in a final. But I don't know. She's got multiple events to focus on. I just like Chariot being in that 1500, having Ingebrigtsen to, to push him. Maybe they reach you know new heights this year. We saw Ingebrigtsen run 328. He's still. Well, he's just now 20 years old, a lot of years ahead for him. I, I think that that record could surprise some people by by being under threat, uh, even though we kind of look at El Garouge as being at a completely different level historically than the rest of the 1500. All right, moving along, I have the women's 400, which is 4760, and a lot of people look at it as being, quote-unquote, a not a entirely... Uh, not a not a record that's loaded with with integrity, if if you will. Um, okay. But if we still have, if Salwa Eid Nasser somehow does not get a get a ban and miss the Olympics, she's third on the all time list at forty eight fourteen. And of course, we also know that Shawnee Miller Weibo forty eight thirty seven. I put let me go back to my sheet a fifteen percent chance that one of those two women gets under the 4760 is that is that too much yeah it's way too much it's zero percent chance it's not happening it's a zero <clears throat> wow zero i wow. think yeah i don't i don't think they're running 47s anytime soon zero percent 
Okay, I would put it, well, obviously, I would put it higher than a 0% chance. I didn't know we were going to, to that level. Just say it has no chance. It's my opinion. So I have as much you know? of a chance of breaking the women's 400 world record as Shawnee Miller-Weibo and, uh, and yeah, Saul Yeah, you Nath. do. Wow. You guys are on the same I, well, I feel good about that. equal foot. I feel good about No. No, they, they ran 48-14 and 48-37, and I, neither woman could have even expected that. I mean, that was so, – now, say what you will about Nasser. She may end up being suspended, so that could knock down this chance significantly. But Miller-Weibo, I don't think anyone could say she's reached her peak in the 400. Uh, you know, she's still – She's still very, very young and improving her speed, certainly. And we saw her run under 11 seconds in the uh, in the 100 meters in, in 2020. So if you're going to have that logic for Norman, wow, he's improved his speed in the 100. Well, you feels like you should uh, you should have that same I don't know that same outlook on on Shawnee Miller Weibo. Now I guess you could point to the the women's 400 record being 47-6 and saying that's clearly doped and untouchable, but I, I'm not closing the door. 15%, okay, maybe a little bit too high, but 0%, come on. There's never you a 0%. Me give you a, you, you, all right, you want me to give you a, a 0.5% to make it Yeah, better? give me that 0.5%. 0.5%, there okay. you go. Okay. Uh, the women's high jump, it's been at 209 since 1987. Maria Lasaskine last year jumped 206 i put this at a 12 percent chance should that be higher no nah, you, you believe in lots of skinny it's also a sub five percent chance nah. well here's the problem though we also have the issue with russian athletes and uh authorized neutral athletes they need to kind of clean up their their acts so their neutral athletes can compete so that's part of the consideration here uh Lasaskine has been an ANA athlete for several years now, but you know Russia, they the the bill has come due to World Athletics, and they're not wanting to pay it. So uh, that could be a consideration. Will Lasaskine be at the Olympic Games? Is a serious question. But if she's there competing in 2020, I give it a better than five percent. I'm going to go to 12 percent. Like I said, uh, 206. You only got she only, she's only got 0.03 meters. I don't know how many how many inches that is. You mean three? You you mean three centimeters? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, point oh three meters, <laughs> three centimeters. So a centimeter is what, like that? To... That's all she's got. That's pretty big, man. Okay. No, okay. <laughs> don't, don't clip that. That's pretty big, man. Don't clip yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wasn't gonna say right. anything, but wow, that was incredible. <laughs> okay, well, we'll close this out uh, with a couple events that I know you love. The men's two hundred. I put it at five percent. Noah Lyles would obviously be the only candidate. 1919 is a ridiculous, ridiculous time, uh, but he's run 1950. 5%, is that too high for Noah Lyles? That's fair. Give him 5%. I do think 5%. Noah Lyles will flirt with that record in the next four years, I think, for sure. So maybe it's we not this see. next year, but I, I do think he will. He will, he will be running – He's going to run at least a 9-4 and a 9-3 in the next two years. And then all of a sudden, we're going to be like, hey, what's when's his 19-19 coming? So. Yeah. Yeah. All right. 
I uh, I would put five percent. I mean, I know I wrote the line, so I I kind of have to say it's <laughs> it's right. But I, I I now I think it's a little high. I think it's more along the one percent or maybe even the point five percent. Sorry, I'm still I'm still struggling a little bit. All right, last one, and we'll get out of here. The men's eight hundred two and a half percent. I know you have a lot of faith in your boy. Uh, it, why why can't I think of his name? Uh, Come on, man. You uh, yeah. baby. Career. Uh, what? Okay, yeah, Emmanuel Career. Obviously, this is a focus for Donovan Brazier. Two and a half percent shot that Donovan Brazier runs under one forty ninety one. I guess you could also put. Uh, I can't think of anybody's name right now. The guy on OTC Elite. Uh, you know, yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> Mister One. one. <laughs> hold on. Yeah, I'm gonna, name. I'm gonna get his name. Hold on. Uh, Nigel Amos. Uh, Nigel Amos. Nigel wow, Amos. Also a possibility for him, but 140.91 feels pretty far away. So I said 2.5%. You, you higher or lower than that? I think it's higher. I think we might see it. And I think wow. it could be – I could. I think it could easily not be Brazier. I think if it happens, it most likely would be Brazier. But um, we could have I mean, like a 2012 – We could yeah. have a 2012-style Olympic final, right? I could totally mm -hmm. see that happen. And all of a sudden, we're like, holy crap. And I think at like 400, they're going to be out in 48 seconds. And we're going to be like, wait a minute. And then we're going to be like, with 200 to go, we're going to be like, he's not tired yet. And then we're going to start freaking out. And then we're going to be doing clock watching in the final 50 meters. Um, again, it could come up short and run like, quick. Run, run like 141 flat and be like, whoa. Like I – I think we're more likely to see an incredible 141 than we are to see an incredible world record. But uh, 141, pretty good hey, too. Yeah, 141 is pretty good. I would say 141 is 80 percent chance. 140. Oh my god, is in the five percent chance. Wow. Yeah, I think I, 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 going to pop one. Two and a half percent feels like it. it I, Brazier showed in tw in his limited action in 2020. I, he's like firmly in control, even if things aren't going this way. So he's like put himself even higher up on the pedestal than the 800, like kind of what he talked about to need to reach that Rudisha level. But yeah, I'm going to need to see some consistency in that 141 range before I think the 14091 is going to happen. But the Olympics can absolutely bring out the best. And yeah, if they go out really, really hard. Who knows? Two and a half percent shot. I will say it there, but you'll you'll put it just a little bit higher. All right, that will uh, do it for today's sporadic and wild show. Uh, Kevin and Gordon will be back tomorrow for more uh, from the Flow Track Podcast. We will see you then.